Hello, lovely After Work Drinks listeners. We are so excited to bring you our first ever one-off bonus episode, which we've made in collaboration with Pandora for International Women's Day. As you're all no doubt aware by now, we're incredibly passionate about women's rights and feminism. This is why we're thrilled to be working with a brand which is supporting women's education through their partnership with UNICEF. Today we attended Pandora's Charms for Change International Women's Day event in London, of which all proceeds went to UNICEF. They've also created a We Can Do Anything charm, which you've likely seen all over our Instagram by now. Proceeds from each purchase will be donated to UNICEF, going directly to supporting young female voices through work towards gender equality and women's empowerment. The charms are available for purchase now, and you can find out more at www.pandora.net. Now sit back and enjoy this special episode all about International Women's Day. Thank you to Pandora for making this possible. We really are so happy to work alongside a brand that really wants to help the world. Welcome to After Work Drinks, your weekly dose of news, pop culture and Pinot Noir, brought to you by magazine editors and best friends, Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill. Lucky you, an extra episode this week, everyone. Lucky ducks. Lucky ducks. We are very excited to be doing a bonus episode for International Women's Day. Yeah, not only are we stoked that it is the first time that you're hearing us twice in one week, but that it is for something that's so obviously close to our hearts, we are so passionate about women's rights and equality and feminism and to partner with not only Pandora but UNICEF on this is just really a dream come just true. a treat. A treat and a half. Best day of the year. Best day ever. So for people I guess who don't know all that much about International Women's Day it is Sunday the 8th of March and it has been around actually since 1908 when 15,000 women marched through New York City demanding shorter hours, better pay and voting rights. And then in 1909, the first National Women's Day was observed in the US. Um, But basically, it is a day to celebrate the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of us girls. But it also marks a call to action for accelerating gender parity. Yes, and could not be timelier considering recent events regarding a certain Mr. Weinstein, the Mm -hmm. US election, Donald Trump. It just feels like timelier than ever to talk about the importance of days like this. Totally. That's why it's so cool to come together with like-minded women and talk about causes close to our hearts. So we just attended Pandora's Charms for Change event in London. It was hosted by Halima Adin, who we both love. We've talked about before and we'll touch on her a bit more later and um, why she's such a groundbreaking model and activist. And it really kind of reminded me of how great it is to have a community like the one we have. Yeah, and just the fact that the conversation has shifted so dramatically where even 10 years ago maybe to be feminist was considered a kind of crazy position to take, to Mm. be surrounded by groups of like-minded women like this for big brands to be doing that wasn't the mainstream thing at all. And the fact that it's now completely common for every single person in the world to get together on this day and celebrate women I think is amazing and while we have made such huge strides for women gender equality is still lacking in so many ways and a prime example of that is the U.S. Democratic nominee yes so Elizabeth Warren who was the last like the final stand of women in the race dropped out a couple of days ago um and she kind of had this amazing response when asked about the way that sexism played a role in her campaign like her unsuccessful campaign um and we're just going to play a little clip from that now gender in this race you know that is the trap question for every woman uh if you say yeah there was sexism in this race everyone says whiner and if you say no there was no sexism about a bazillion women think what planet do you live on yeah exactly that's and that's something when i read michelle obama's book as well she was saying the same thing she was like to even get a seat at the table you have to just pretend that sexism doesn't exist and if you do discuss it then you're just an annoying woman suddenly totally and it's this it's this crazy handicap that i hadn't really thought about because i think you can look at politics in a really 
bogged down way and not see the big picture where I was kind of like, okay, Joe Biden's polling higher and, you know, some of your policies people consider a bit wishy-washy and maybe that's the reason. But I think to not actually drill down on how important gender is for people running for president is to miss the point entirely because it's like what I seem to be finding, especially with the presidency, is people keep saying, I want a woman president, I want a woman president, but not her and not her and not her and not her and just kind of find something wrong with every single nominee and say, but I really want one. I just don't want any of the ones that you're kind of giving me. Yeah. And what we were saying earlier when we were discussing this was what I think the the whole issue is, is that with men, we want to find a good guy and Mm. we want to find a charismatic man who's funny and who's charming. And that's why, you know, Joe Biden with being Obama's best mate and the memes and the dad memes and that's funny and it's charming and Obama's funny and charming and drops a mic in his last speech and, you know, listens to Beyonce. But then with women, it's if she's too serious, she's boring and annoying and naggy. And if she tries to be fun and funny, it just falls flat because I feel like we kind of already assume that women are nice. So we're not shocked by that. But when a man is nice and charming and caring and kind and like Mayor Pete, as you said, Mm. we're so shocked that we instantly they go up a billion levels. Yeah, totally. And I think the likability thing is so interesting because uh, Warren and Kamala Harris, who were two of the early on, two of the strongest female candidates, they both ranked really high for favorability, which means liking their policies or thinking that they do a good job and ranked abysmally low for likability. So Elizabeth Warren got, I think, 64% favorability and 4% likability. So everyone who's polled was like, I just don't like her. And I think people don't interrogate that feeling of being aggravated by someone or just thinking, I don't like that person, that tends to just be reserved for women. We don't tend to look at a man and be like, I just don't like him. I don't know why I just don't like him. That's kind of... Yeah, it's either neutral. Yeah, it's usually just neutral. Yeah, you just don't care. Or you love them, like an Obama. Yeah, exactly. And with women, it's everything about them is just annoying. Suddenly their voice is annoying. The way they carry themselves is annoying. They look too confident. They don't look confident enough. And there's a thing as well in in pieces I've been reading that says that Elizabeth Warren was seen, and it's funny because we've talked about ambition before and that we don't want to over-celebrate ambition, but she's, the way that people kind of respond to her has been in a way of, why do you need this thing as well? You've already done so well, why do you need to get this next thing? Whereas no one looks at Mayor Pete who was a mayor of a tiny, tiny town of 100,000 people and says, well, why do you want to become the president? That's a bit arrogant of you. That's a bit overly ambitious. People Mm. are like, yeah, go Pete. But Mm. for women, there's this thing where people just want you to kind of stay in your lane and be happy with what you've got. Isn't she way more qualified than both? She's hugely qualified. This is the thing that I think that – she's definitely not more qualified than Biden and Sanders because Biden was VP. But she's more qualified than a lot of other candidates who's – lack of qualifications wasn't really seen as a problem yeah right i just think i just think it's an interesting indication of our times that we are kind of theoretically so okay with and this isn't to say that there weren't problems with her i feel like to to say that the only reason that she lost was because of her gender would be not true either but i think people just want to act as if that wasn't a factor at all and obviously it was a huge factor and i've been looking at some polls that show that the more which sounds kind of obvious but the more sexist you are um, in terms of like quietly, un- unknowingly sexist, the less likely you are to vote for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, but didn't you say that the polls were kind of tricky in the way they asked the questions? So they would never say, would you not vote for her because she's a woman? And yes. no one would say that that was a factor. But then they would ask, what were the questions? Yeah, like subtle questions like, um, do you think that men don't appreciate, do you think that women don't appreciate men's hard work enough? Or do you think that women, um, uh, superficial or care about money over blah blah or whatever and if it was kind of these quietly sexist ideals that people hold because like you say no one's gonna say i don't want a woman president because i hate women but a lot of people will just have little sexist ideas about why women won't make good leaders that they won't share with everyone but that's playing a factor yeah exactly when jacinda ardern um was made deputy leader of the labor party i think the the night that happened a guy straight away said well do you want to become a mother? Because mm. you won't be able to 
be do both. Private. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's just the challenge now. But it is worth remembering that there was a huge amount of female representation in the 2018 midterms. People are talking about Stacey Abrams potentially being presidential nominee for the Democrats in 2024. Things are changing. Don't get too depressed, but Slowly. poor Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. And exact, I think that's the thing where now people are feeling all disheartened. And if a competent, thoughtful, progressive, smart, passionate woman with heaps of experience mm. can't even become a nominee, then who will? Yeah, exactly. And I think the electability question, quote unquote, has been this dominating question throughout this whole process. And it really seems to be that electability seems to be kind of code for what every president has looked like in the past, which is a straight white old guy. Mm. So I think that there's been this kind of undertoken of sexism in the way that people have basically been like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, but you probably won't win. And we just need someone who will win. Yeah. And do you think because people are kind of worried off the back of Hillary Clinton? I think she's definitely suffering from a Hillary Clinton hangover where people are reminded of Hillary Clinton because they're a similar age. And both women, that's kind of basically it. (laughs) And they're like, we don't want to see what happened last time happen again. Yeah, so you just need to get Trump out. I know. God. That's what I mean. The biggest feminist move is just getting Donald out, really. But it would be great if a woman had beat him. Mm. Agree. And in something that's really good timing, earlier this week I went to a preview screening of the new film Misbehaviour. And it is based around the birth of feminism in the 70s um which shows so the miss world i didn't even know that the miss world competition was held in the uk it feels like such a us thing yeah i didn't know that either yeah and it was the biggest thing in the world back then 100 million viewers used to watch it and basically that's crazy it's it's huge i think at its peak victoria secret had like 10 million or something 100 million everyone just got tvs that's crazy yeah um and this film tells the story of the women's liberation movement. So they were protesting against Miss World because of the way it treated women Mm. as objects. And basically what they did is they snuck into the venue of Miss World and then uh, protested. They snuck flour and all these things in their handbags. And then as Bob Hope, who's really famous, was doing a comedy skit on the stage and he was saying all these sexist remarks and he goes, you know, people say that I don't care about women's feelings, but I love feeling women. And then Ah. they stood up and flower bombed the stage and let down banners and signs. And this all happened. And then it was in every world, every paper across the world the next day. And from there, the first ever women's March happened three months Mm. later. So the story is really poignant to what we're talking about today was it also opens the question because that year in 1970 was the first time they ever had a woman of color win Miss World, which is it literally feels like one of those Oscars moments where they read right, out so La the La first La time it finally happened was yeah. the year that the Libs Women's Lib movement happened to flower bomb the stage and take <laughs> yeah. all the attention away. Yeah. God. So um, Jennifer Hostin from Grenada won Miss World, and what this film does really brilliantly is it kind of has all these different conversations happening at once. So there's the conversation of the birth of feminism and and then there's also a step forward for representation in terms of beauty. So the whole conversation about who gets to be a beauty queen, but also at the same time that's celebrating being objectified in a misogynistic world. Yeah, it's really interesting because I haven't seen it as you went to a preview screening, Um, but from everything I've been reading about it in the aftermath, it seems like the questions it tackles are so, and I guess that's why it's come out now, are so reflective of the questions we're still kind of grappling with as feminists. Mm. The whole thing of, you know, objectification of women and uh, celebrating them purely for their beauty, we can agree is kind of wrong, but it often seems that the only way to get powerful messages across for women is to work within that system and make changes within that system. Exactly. So there's a really good scene where... So Kira Knightley plays one of the women in the women's liberation movement, white, beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And then there's a scene in the movie, which didn't happen in real life, where she comes face to face with Jennifer Hostin, who's played by Gugu Mabatha Raw. And they're in a bathroom together. And Kira's saying, we're not angry at you. It's not your fault. We're angry at the patriarchy. And Gugu's character is saying, well, this is so huge for me to be able to show other women of color that they can be a beauty queen as well and Mm. that 
like who gets to be a feminist and who mm-hmm. gets to fight for what side they're both fighting for really important things but Gugu's fighting inside instead of Kira's character fighting from the outside yeah totally and there's like a privilege that comes with the fact that if you're a white woman you're kind of so far ahead of of the curve that you're not having to think about things like yeah. representation for people of color and, and whatnot so that's such an interesting paradigm as well and I actually interviewed um the director, Philippa Lawthorpe, who's the only woman to ever win a Best Director BAFTA for television, That's still. Terrifying. I know. And we were actually talking about how, which we have touched on a lot in the podcast, how there's still such a lack of representation for women in film. Um, and she had the same same sort of take as us, but even more so. So you and I always talk about how, in terms of the voting for the BAFTAs, in terms of the voting for the Academy Awards, there needs to be more women there but she was like it needs to be more women in those rooms funding the films yes the ceos the the people completely behind the scenes that you wouldn't even think twice about um but she said as well that it was really important to kind of get so in the film they talk about not only kara knightley's character's arc gugu's character's arc but then all of these other characters in the mix in the mix and i think she did like a really beautiful job of showing just how important everyone's fight is mm-hmm. and the real woman sh- uh, shown at the end it's, it's pretty cool that's so cool it even i think uh from what i read as well in an interview with kira knightley it talked about how it kind of highlights the complexity of f- feminism in the sense that even the people who run the pageant it said they're not shown to be horrible exploitative people they really care about the women mm. who are in the pageant but what they're doing is kind of as a principle exploitative and the women who are trying to liberate these beauty queens on stage who they think are doing the right thing kind of end up undermining a really powerful moment yes and and women who are trying to make powerful political statements for their country are doing it in this kind of problematic way like it just shows you how difficult it is to unpack all of these questions Mm. it's interesting as well because it's obviously critical of the whole beauty pageant industry which seems like a bit of a throwback now even watching the trailer it seemed kind of nuts that it was ever a thing to line women up and get them to turn around and rate their ass and rate their face and whatnot but Kira Knightley in that interview talked about how in the she sees Instagram as the modern beauty pageant and how it hasn't really changed the formats just the thing that's changed exactly even Victoria's Secret yeah Victoria's Secret was just an update on that they took out the rating women out of 10 aspect but the principle of just having tall quote unquote traditionally beautiful women march scantily clad down a runway for people's enjoyment was the same and everyone was rating them from home anyway yeah exactly I also interviewed Gugu who I love so much because she is on my favorite show that I never shut up about the morning show (laughs) Um, and I just wanted to quickly touch on her as the way her activism is and the way her feminism is is so brilliant and so quiet that you wouldn't even know but as we were talking about with the Rose McGowan and the Natalie Portman thing from the Oscars how Natalie Portman had all the women directors who should have been nominated on her dress Mm. and then Rose McGowan was kind of like well you never work with female directors which Rose McGowan later apologized about on Instagram Mm -hmm. um Gugu has always works with female directors basically she's worked with a couple of male directors she always picks roles that are uh that tell a wider story so she played Belle which is the first mixed race woman to be raised in the royal family Hannah from the morning show um which deals with sexual harassment in the workplace and even in Black Mirror, she's in that San Junipero episode, which is like one Everyone's of Everyone's bloody obsessed with that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's I think it's the, hailed as the best Black Mirror episode. And that's uh, all about a beautiful lesbian relationship. And she was kind of saying that when we were speaking that even though she didn't really know about feminism when she was younger, because she was raised in such a... Um, positive way by... A, I think she was raised by a single mother. Mm. Um that she working with female directors and choosing all of these choices is just a way that she has always like quietly pushed women forward Mm -hmm. and i think that that's that's just as important that's what jamila jamil says Mm -hmm. as your loud activism and your loud marches your the choices you make yeah absolutely and even on the subject of pageants and kind of how far we've moved forwards i was reading uh gia tolentino's essay in trick mirror called always be optimizing and it's just basically saying that like even though we would never yet line women up and rate them now 
the 2020 version of that as a woman who goes to bar every morning, as a woman who eats it. Sweet Green, which is my favorite US salad bar <laughs> in the world. It's delicious. And who, you know, has the glossier face where it doesn't look like you're wearing makeup and your skin's perfect and you're always optimizing and you're trying to, it's all about your lifestyle now. And it's kind of, it's as if the conversation is exactly the same, but rebranded into being, instead of being skinny, you want to be fit. Yes, exactly. And it's like how I was talking to you about The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, which is a book that just, feel like changed my life and um that was written 30 years ago and what she was basically just saying was that women are kept distracted by this constant personal striving to be a perfect ideal version of a woman and often that's very outward appearance related and it kind of just keeps you in a constant cycle of feeling inadequate and unhappy and not good enough and and needing to perfect 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 and it's interesting to with that movie misbehavior to look at how the standards like have changed sort of but they kind of haven't like the idealized version of beauty is still the same our conversation about how you achieve it is just different because Mm. it's no longer palatable to say i don't know you need to be skinny people now say you want to be fit for your mental health you want to eat vegan because it's good for the planet and the environment and your body and that's kind of the way the conversation has shifted yeah Gia wrote um the psychological parasite of the ideal woman has evolved to survive in an ecosystem that pretends to resist her mm, love that even Kira Knightley said I feel like I've mentioned her name like 95 times I now, love Kira Knightley. I really like her and in this uh interview she's like I'm a hypocrite in in the sense that I read this script and said hell yeah I love these women's protesters who crush this beauty mart um this beauty pageant that's an amazing thing to do and yet I'm the beneficiary of something that looks a little bit like a beauty pageant in terms of red carpets and modeling and doing contracts and campaigns and and all of those things where she makes most of her money she was like that's contributing to a Mm. standardized version of beauty I'm doing that I'm directly involved in that and Mm. yet I side with the women who gate crushed the thing and she was like so i'm a hypocrite but i don't know i'm still figuring things out and negotiating it something i know i've mentioned a billion times that kira knightley's talked about is this idea of the fact that modeling and modeling kind of adjacent industries are the only place where women are drastically paid more than men so when it relates directly to how they look it's kind of the only time that women get like a big pay packet which is such an interesting topic and it's one that was explored in a podcast that we both loved this week uh it's called Is Being Pretty the Ultimate Privilege by Bobo and Flex, which is a podcast that Flex Mummy co-hosts in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of topic that I think we're really interested in and have talked about before. About. Yeah, It's funny because it's, it's off the back of a conversation. Remember ages ago we were talking on the podcast. I th- oh, was it on the podcast or was I just talking to you? And I said that Anton and I were walking around a park and I just said, man, it's so annoying how really, really... Yeah, we did talk about this on the mm. press, how really, really ridiculously beautiful people just get more in life. And he, <laughs> as the only human, I think, in the world, couldn't see that. And then <laughs> now, so in Flex Mummy's podcast, what she did was she asked... She's got heaps of Instagram followers, and she was asking all of them different questions for the podcast, which she then read out their answers. And what, what I found really interesting was a lot of people said that they didn't think they benefited from pretty privilege. And when she asked why, they would say, oh, because I'm like deemed overweight or because I'm deemed short or because I'm um, not conventionally attractive. And they said, because I'm not white. Mm-hmm. And then she said, do you think I benefit from pretty privilege? And all of them said yes. Right. Which is funny because they couldn't see that. They could see it for her, but not for themselves. Not for themselves, yeah. But they actually pulled up all these stats and statistics that show that Obviously, you would think for modeling and for even acting and for even working in the fashion industry. Yeah, and also just the whole Instagram influencer industry or the Instagram model industry. But you could see why, how you look would play a part in that. Right. But then they were bringing up stats and statistics that showed that even chefs Mm. who are better looking get paid more. Chefs. Yeah, but it's this thing where people think we code beauty as being like, a virtue we have this weird human instinct when we see a beautiful person we think that they're good for some reason we have we we have all these connotations that we tie to beauty where we make assumptions about what that person must actually be like as a person and we assume that they're kind of more interesting yeah like that they're they're mysterious or there's something interesting to know about them or that they're i don't know what it is i don't think we think they're good people but we're 
just drawn to them in this kind of strange way that just makes us like them immediately. Mm. And obviously with a capitalist society where making money is the point, if you're drawn to someone and feel like you like them straight away, they're going to help you sell a product. So I, I understand why the system is the way it is, but it's just nuts because it's just luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. And I think being pretty is something that you're kind of... And it's so untangible. Like, I don't even know what it means. Yeah. Like, you do know what it means and that we've got really, like, homogenous yeah. ideas of beauty. But that phrase pretty is kind of strange because it feels so... Well, I feel like it, there's a conventional standards of beauty. Yeah. And then there's... I don't know. I just find it so sh- annoying how obsessed everyone is. As a, because everything is about how you look. Yeah. And it is this final obstacle, I think, for women to achieve equality, which is what the beauty myth is all about, because it does keep us in a constant state of chasing our tails. And I just think about all the time and energy. Like I know Zadie Smith has talked about how she limits the time her daughters can spend in front of the mirror, because I just think about if you compiled all the time and energy and money and thought and whatever that I have spent worrying about my appearance, doing things to enhance my appearance, stressing about my appearance, wanting to improve my appearance, beating myself up for caring so much about my appearance. If you put that all together, the yeah. energy of that, I probably could have like won a bloody Nobel Prize at this point. And but, if you put all that energy of every woman together, yeah. like God knows what would be happening. And even just for men who aren't expected at all to wear makeup, mm. imagine if that was for us, if, we, if it was just we- like kind of deemed weird if we did how much time we would save yeah, exactly. every single day. And that's what happened when I read The Beauty Myth where I just started looking around the world with this crazy new set of eyes and just thought, what if you, every time we meet a man, I think, give or take, we kind of expect to judge them based on their character. We judge mm-hmm. them based on how funny they are or um, how thoughtful they are or if they make us laugh or if they're intelligent or if they're arrogant or rude or kind and nice. Like we kind of go into situations with them with a detachment about how what they look like will mm. reflect who they are. Mm. And every single woman that we see, we are making constant like valuations about their looks, whether we think we are or not. That's what I realized when I looked around. I was like, every time I look at a woman, it's like – I scanned a train and it's like, man, you're like, da, 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 da. then woman, you latch on and you're lo- you're just looking at them. We're just constantly looking at other women and like sizing them up and seeing what they look like and seeing if they're beautiful, seeing are they whatever. We don't mm. mean to do it, but mm. it's just the way that we're trained. And the thing is, is we're just as women, we're just never satisfied. You could get the perfect glossier skin and you could get your hair done and you could whatever, do all of these things. You get your nails done, do all of these things that, society says will make you feel pretty and you'll just never you'll always look at the another pretty woman who's maybe five degrees more conventionally attractive than you and think i wish i was her yeah well it's like look at how we talked about how elsa hosk and people who we think as being the absolute archetypes of what western beauty standard looks like they still facetune themselves because they're self-conscious about their appearance and even taylor swift in her miss americana documentary how she said she can't look at photos of herself yeah it's wild to Isn't use a, a popular like that. But they don't because they're not judged on it. So they just wouldn't think about it. They're just free from having to think about it. I'm not saying there's no pressures on men, men's physicality. Obviously, there are things. But as a rule, they can kind of exist in the world without thinking too much, too deeply about their appearance. Mm. Like that's the quote-unquote privilege of being a man. Yeah. We just can't do that. It's impossible to go through life as a woman and not think about how you look. This International Women's Day episode of After Work Drinks is brought to you by Pandora. Pandora have partnered with UNICEF to help raise much-needed funds to support vulnerable children around the world. One of the ways they're doing this is by supporting UNICEF's Upshift program, which specifically focuses on helping young women and girls. The world is home to 600 million adolescent girls aged between 10 and 19, and one in six of those girls are not in secondary school. With the right resources, opportunities and environment, these girls can go on to fulfil their potential. UNICEF works with local government bodies worldwide to move towards ending gender discrimination in the classroom. Among the many things they've done to help support female education is working on assistive technologies to ensure girls with disabilities don't miss out, as well as vocational training and apprenticeship programs. As well as donating proceeds from their International Women's Day event in London today, featuring groundbreaking fashion model and activist Halima Arden, 
Pandora has created the We Can Do Anything charm. Proceeds from each purchase will be donated to UNICEF. They're available now and you can find out more at www.pandora.net. Thank you so much to Pandora for partnering with us on this episode of After Work Drink. Another person that we have both loved from afar and up close is mm-hmm. fashion model and activist Halima Ardin. So Halima was born in a refugee camp in Kenya and she actually, off the top of topic of misbehavior and beauty pageant, she actually became famous and known because she was the first woman to ever wear a bikini and hijab at the Miss Minnesota USA beauty pageant. And she was found from that. It's an amazing example of what we were just talking about of someone using the system to make the most amazingly bold kind of political statement, which I don't even think she meant to be political, but it, it literally was global, amazing international news when it happened. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So she made the change from the inside instead of from the outside. Yeah. Like Gugu's character, Jennifer yes. Hostin. Since then, Halima has gone on to front British Vogue, uh, bazillion other magazine covers she walked the runways in paris and milan we saw her at milan fashion week recently she came to australia um she watched the tommy now show and actually i talked to her backstage at the tommy now show and she said that instead of being the only hijab wearing model at that show she was one of three which so she was like i can see firsthand how things are changing and how Mm. i'm a part of that which is so exciting it's amazing and we talked as well about how the fashion industry really changed and catered to her because of how much they wanted to work with her because she's gorgeous and has this infectious smile and is just amazing. But they, those kind of accommodations aren't things that they would have done in the past. And it's by virtue of how amazing she is and how kind of um, like steadfast she kept her belief system that she refused to compromise. And I think that's why people like love her so much and look up, up to her so much. So we had the, the example of the, Yeezy show, which you were telling me about, Mm. which was that Kanye West cast her and then the outfit he wanted her to wear didn't fit in with her religious customs. The outfit showed too much skin. And that would be a really hard thing to do at that time. That was the first runway show she'd ever booked. And she said, I'm really sorry. I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to do it. And she went home that night and thought, you know, maybe I've missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime, but I'm glad I didn't like sacrifice myself or whatever sacrifice yeah (laughs) um and then the yeezy team called the next day and said we've altered the outfit for you because we want you to walk that much and that's been such a huge part of her entire modeling trajectory where she was the first hijab wearing model to sign with img and it's written into her modeling contract stipulations that she's comfortable with on every single shoot they've built a little erected tent area outside fashion shows so she's able to get changed in like a modest area Mm. um so many designers have kind of altered designs and changed shoots created special garments for her and it's just amazing for muslim visibility uh there was an example with max mara she said where she just got inundated with comments of people saying now we know that this is a brand that cares about us and we're a huge community with huge buying power and you have like kind of single-handedly opened up these brands to this community it's amazing yeah and not only is she doing all of that but she was literally born in a refugee camp in a house made of sticks and mud and then when they moved to the u.s she lived in a woman's shelter in the u.s she's come from the greatest we were listening to a ted talk with her and she said she used to get malaria as a child and she actually i didn't know this but she was actually in the same refugee camp as a akesh from australia who we also absolutely love it's crazy they're two of the biggest models in the whole entire world they shared a british vogue cover they are absolutely just killing it yeah and they both grew up in at the, same... the same age in the exact same kenyan refugee camp yeah it is crazy so since because of her upbringing she's been super involved with unicef and activism and i think it is a very good example of someone who she probably came into this not realizing the impact she was going to have mm. she was like i want to enter this pageant and be the first hijab wearing model or person to ever enter but she would i also think i read something that said that uh if she got to the top 15 or something that it would pay in part for her college tuition and that was a huge motivating factor and then she ended up winning it so that kind of like passion for education I think is really inspiring as well because that was a huge part of 
yeah. why she entered in the yeah. first place. And it's just a great example of someone who has been given this huge world stage and has just taken it and is doing amazing things. Like Greta. Greta yeah. Thunberg would never have thought that she was going to end up as the face of the climate movement and they've just run with it. And even the fact, I think, that there used to be this kind of idea, especially in modelling, that models were expected to not speak and have opinions and that they were just supposed to be the face of things and weren't necessarily supposed to have personalities and causes and make political statements and, you know, speak out. And the fact that her popularity so much comes from the fact that she's so eloquent and thoughtful and can speak to these issues and, like, highlights these incredibly important topics is, like, such a good sign of the times, I think. Like, I look at her and I do it and I'm like, these are the supermodels that we need right now. Like, these are the supermodels we want to reflect the time we're in. Exactly. And she was the first woman to wear a hijab on Sports Illustrated. She said she didn't tell her mum until it hit newsstands because she was worried that it would be too risque for the Muslim community. But then mm. look at that, like how far she's come because of that. And it's just amazing. We've talked about a bunch of times in this episode, but this whole idea of going to these kind of storied institutions that maybe didn't line up with how we feel, like didn't represent women the way that we necessarily agree with in the past and to say like there's potential to shift that and to do something really powerful and positive with it and to Mm. completely change the way that a whole group of people are represented i feel like that's such a inspiring kind of amazing decision to make i think sometimes that's more powerful than refusing to engage like engaging and changing the conversation is how change happens yeah exactly and she's um, – I remember when we talked to her in Australia when she was over that she was saying that girls have dressed up as her for Halloween, mm-hmm. like um, editorials she's done. They've dressed as – yeah. she's inspired so many young women. It's insane. Yeah. She's so lovely as well, just to top it all off. Just to top it all off. At last night's Charmed for Change event, we were lucky enough to sit down with a couple of Pandora's ambassadors who have come over – Uh, to raise awareness um, for International Women's Day and we loved both of their conversations so much that we wanted to insert a bit here. So first up is Tarsia Van Rie. Tarsia is a Los Angeles-based artist and photographer and her work's been showcased alongside people like David Lynch, Amy Arbus and Gus Van Sant and she's just really amazing. So enjoy. We want to talk about when you started engaging with the topic of feminism yourself so when did you kind of become aware of it was there a formative moment and how has that kind of grown well i think just growing up as a as a as a girl and as a woman i think i've throughout my whole life kind of subtly had that um undertone of feminism Uh, but i think just recently i've kind of really tapped into it and kind of really understood the power and like the dedication that i really need to focus on and um there's a responsibility that I have to kind of also um, take on to create a bigger shift in, you know, consciousness with women and men and everyone around the world. Um, so I think just recently I've kind of really understood the, the dynamic of feminism and, and kind of what I need to be a little bit more engaged with to have a bigger voice and have my my voice be heard on a louder scale you know so you know obviously there's been a huge shift with the me too movement and women kind of realizing i think for me myself personally i didn't realize how bad it was for a long time of course because oh, i'm sorry go ahead. and i just thought things were even you know i didn't even realize that women and men didn't have the same kind of chance in life or you couldn't get paid the same and you didn't have the same everything like there's never been a woman president in the united states um was there like a specific moment that you were kind of like wow i think as life just progressed like and the older you get the more aware you get Mm. so of course when i I was younger I, i was just in my own bubble and just existing in a different plane and just being like going through the motions of just trying to educate myself or just like life experience you know um, but I think the older that I'm getting and kind of the more I'm, I'm kind of engaging with the world around me and understanding life on a deeper level, I think that's, that's why, especially now it's kind of like kicking in and now I'm understanding like 
no, you have to, like, all of these injustices and, like, imbalances are around me consistently, and it always has been, but it's your own awareness that you have to tap into to kind of um, understand it, you know? So that's where I'm kind of just understanding it in a, in a deeper level right now. And then figuring out what you can do. Yeah, because I think every everyone, male or female, should should really contribute in a way, because it, it's, it's all based on... The interaction between humans, you yeah, know? you can't just have just women fighting for women's rights. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. who are some of the, um, I guess, women who you look up to or who inspire you, either you know, heroes of yours or personal people in your life that that really help you out? Um, just, I mean, every voice counts. I mean, people from like from like my community, so it's my direct women that I'm around to. People that have bigger platforms, like you know um, Jane Goodall, and okay. then people like Adwa Aboa, yeah. um, Greta the Thurnbar- uh, Thurnberg. Yeah, Izzy marched with her in Switzerland a few weeks ago. Really? Oh, yeah. I just I am obsessed with the climate. <laughs> oh, me too. Like I feel yeah. like without like the awareness for the planet, like everything else doesn't it's really so matter, stupid. you know. <laughs> so there's so many different levels of yeah like understanding like what's the most important thing right now and it's the planet (laughs) you know literally it's the planet so i think focusing on that as well is really important and then with that comes you know feminism and all the other levels and layers of human consciousness so Mm -hmm. how has kind of do you use social media at all to help with your activism well i'm (laughs) I'm trying to really organize my like my life in a way of okay like now you have this platform to really figure out what to do with it you know because I'm an artist so at first I was like oh I'm just gonna like post my art and kind of um, kind of uncover the depth of like what it's like to be an artist Um, and then now it's kind of transitioning to like I'm trying to be more aware of of how that can really benefit myself and kind of the world at hand so I want to use it more for the activism and kind of to really make a a shift and change that way so I'm trying to really like figure out how to do that that's real that's also really um authentic to myself and as an artist you know so I don't want to create a whole platform or a whole page that's just like activism 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 but I think it's there's a like um there's like a, um, a subtle way to do it, you know, which is also very powerful and and kind of my voice is a different voice from all the other like other people that are activists, I guess. Mm. Yeah, you want it to feel authentic and not be like hitting anyone over the head with anything. And you also don't want to be preachy. I feel yeah, like, I feel like people always just think. I always worry about sounding preachy. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I've just found out all of these things about how yeah. the, the world is. <laughs> and you're like, ah, <laughs> everyone needs. Let to- me change it now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true because I also have a very distinct lane that I, I I'm in. So I want to really kind of understand that in its entirety, and then kind of have that extend outside of my own energetic field you know mm-hmm. so we'll see how that mm-hmm. turns out <laughs> and we wanted to finish by asking you what you're hopeful for in 2020 because sometimes you can get overwhelmed with things that we're scared about what are you hopeful for well I, probably to really turn inward and kind of really discover uh, my own true voice and how that can relate to and then kind of turning that outward to see how that can kind of benefit the world and myself at the same time to have that kind of law of reciprocity and and that give and take um, mentality. So I think uh, first of all, I guess I want to make sure like be in good health and take care of like my health and wellness, and then um, be strong enough to kind of exert that energy out into the world of of trying to make a conscious shift on the planet. Um, so. I love that. And also to get really creative and and be prolific and to to intertwine my world and the outside world and see what comes from it. So that's 
Thank you for talking to us. And your art's amazing. It's such a pleasure to get to oh, meet you and chat you. to you. Yeah. I mean, you've shown with such amazing people, you know, your artwork belongs alongside such amazing artists. So thank it's you. really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. And now we have Larson Thompson, who is a dancer, a model, and an actress. We were watching her uh, close up at Paris Fashion Week. She is at only 19 years old. She's worked with the biggest names in the business, including Sia, Janet Jackson, Katy Perry, and Pink. And we absolutely love what she has to say about modeling and dancing and expressing yourself and hang out with us later. You've worked obviously with some amazing women. You've worked with Sia yeah. and Janet Jackson and Christina yeah. and Katy Berry. The list goes yeah. on and on and on. Um, what has it been like to be surrounded by really powerful women like that? And yeah. what have you kind of learned from them along the way? Definitely being able to work with them in a creative way has been so cool for me. Um, every person I've been able to work with, Pink especially, um, it's so cool to like work with people and see how genuine they are and how kind-hearted they are and they all are such incredible visionaries that know what they want and they're so strong-minded and to be especially with Katy Perry it's like I showed up on the set of the day and on set that day and she knew what she wanted and nobody was gonna tell her any differently and then it just shows in her work with how amazing it comes out and to be able to get to meet the different side of them where to be able to talk to them and get to know them better and to see their personalities was so cool and I'm super blessed that I've been able to work and have great experiences with all of these women especially ones that I've looked up to my whole life so yeah and do you think it was sort of seeing those women in power and seeing Katy Perry come on set and say I know what I want and this is what's happening do you think that kind of helped you to uh figure out how you wanted to move around in the world yeah no totally I've always sort of been since I was a little girl one that knows what I want um I'm like a very strong-minded person to be like if this is what I want to do especially when it came, comes to anything creativity wise with my dancing my modeling or my acting I'm like this is my plan and this is what I want to do so to see these other successful women that have the same sort of mindset was really cool for me because I'm like I'm not the only crazy one that wants it like a perfect way um but I think, you know, perfection is, you can never really reach, I don't think there's such thing as like perfection, but we can do our best at um, creating our best work, so. Because you've been dancing since you were four years old. Yeah, yeah, earlier. yeah. One <laughs> of the ways that dancing has kind of like empowered you and given you confidence as a person, like, can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Yeah, yeah, um, so definitely starting at a young age, dancing and sort of growing up in that space has taught me a lot and given me a real big form of expression. And I think as I've grown older, you know, I would go to the studio and that was my way of expressing how I felt, whether it be I angry or sad, dance was my way to get through it. And our dance teachers always taught us that when we were younger, it was like, dance is your dance is your safe space. Like you can come here and bring anything to the floor and this is your way to like get it out. And it's such a big form of expression that I didn't ever, didn't even realize till I was much older where I'm like, wow, it was such a big part of my life and still is where if I'm feeling sad or happy, I can go dance and just express that. And movement especially is something that's so big in dance that comes from all form of expression that I've been able to bring in the modeling space. And even with my acting where, you know, acting's always, is of course a form of expression as, and so is modeling with being able to bring my movement into all of it is all just expressive and a lot of expressiveness but it's true all of every art form I think is is all a form of expression in just different ways I was gonna ask so we just got back from Paris Fashion Week as nice did you oh, yeah that's right how have you found I mean we're all probably very tired yes um how have you found moving into the modeling industry and kind of have you found it uh, a really welcoming place do you find the other women welcoming what's that space like I think the modeling industry was really good for me the dance industry for me I think was very hard because there's not a lot of celebrating for people or there's just it's very competitive the dance industry so when I got into modeling I was always the youngest person on set and I would be working with all these models that were 20 and 21 and I was like 14 at the time <laughs> and so they were so much more mature and they weren't caring about me a 14 year old you know stealing their next job or whatever it is and 
I've definitely had great experiences in modeling and they have met some incredible people. So I'm super blessed for that. But no, all my experiences in modeling have been great. And, you know, every person, it's cool because I meet so many people and then I'll work with them years later and we'll be like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. It always comes full circle. So I've met some great people and had some great experiences. And we wanted to finish on kind of asking what you, what you're hopeful for in 2020. Ooh, what I'm hopeful for. I think what I'm hopeful to see in 2020 is just see us all more come together. I think we're, although we are, you know, we're in 2020 and things seem different or feel different, I just, I hope for more unity as one, as all of the, you know, there's no separation of race or diversity. I think we should all appreciate every single skin color or change or deformity or whatever it may be and i think that's super important i think it's still something that we struggle with in today's world so to just see people come together and love one another at the end of the day we're all people and i think that's what's cool about traveling um which is why i love traveling is i can go to all these different places and experience new cultures and to just see at the end of the day that we're all people and we're all still so welcoming no matter where you are if you're in a different part of the world um i think that's really cool so i just think more unity Mm. awesome thank you guys so much international women's day is such an important day to not only kind of reflect on how far we've come but also where we're going to and then also to kind of highlight the amazing people who are really working to make change and you know we've got elizabeth warren we've got halima we've got gugu my favorite woman in the world all working really hard and even you guys we're sitting in a room at the wing surrounded by portraits of amazing inspiring women mal clooney's looking at us phoebe waller bridge is over there yes and you guys are just so amazing and supportive and we love you and this is what makes us love being feminist because it's all about making connections with women and finding common ground and realizing that we're all in this together and let's all stop wearing makeup because it's 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 annoying as. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to Pandora for making this possible. Yes. Thank you to Pandora. Thank you to UNICEF for everything you do for women and girls everywhere. And we'll see you in a few days. Bye. Bye. Bye.